0: Let's turn this morning to Psalm 27. Those of you that have been with us in previous weeks know that, that this isn't where we anticipated being this morning. We would have been in Colossians chapter 2. But we're going to turn to Psalm 27 where we find David sharing the, the danger, the, the, the fears of, of what it is to, to be a follower of God. When we live in a world filled with uncertainty. And in this past week, these times of crisis have increased our anxiety, the uncertainty of the situation, our lack of control, the growing threat. And so Psalm 27 offers us words of comfort. The first half of the psalm exudes confidence, while the second half is a powerful prayer for comfort. There's a dramatic shift in mood between the two halves of the psalm, but but as the late Pastor James Boyce says, don't. Don't you often find yourselves at times both confident and anxious? Both trusting and and fearful? Or maybe just waffling between those emotions over the course of a day or an hour or just a few minutes. And so let's read together this Old Testament song given to the people of God so that they could come to God in confidence and hope. And so given to us as God's church that we too can find confidence and hope. Uh, I'm going to read... Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait For the Lord. Let's pray that God would apply His word to our lives. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the clarity of your word. Lord, we come to you in this time of crisis because we are urgently seeking truth. And so, Father in heaven, I pray that in your word we would find comfort, that in your word we would find truth. Lord, for those isolated today because of sickness or, or because of the, the, the potential dangers of sickness, Lord, I pray that they would find comfort in you, that they would find fellowship in the church, even connecting one with another by, at, at a distance. Lord, for those that have, have doubts and fears, I pray that, that your word would provide an honest reflection of the reality of pain in our world, but of the hope that is ours in Jesus our Savior. And so, Father in heaven, we come this morning praying in Jesus' name. Amen. It was hard to get a handle on things this week. As soon as you felt like you understood what was happening, things changed. The, the next refreshing cycle of your newsfeed, the, the, the change in, in, in tone of, of the, the cancellations. And even as the leaders here at Faith made the decision to to cancel a corporate worship service, we, we did so with, with sadness. Because there's a longing to be together in relationship. There's a desire that we, we hear even in this psalm to, to be in the house of God, to give praise to his name. And yet in times of uncertainty, when our anxiety rises, how can we respond? I mean, rather than respond in sin, David describes despite the fact that, that there are enemies surrounding him, that, that fear is a legitimate possible response. How does he respond? He doesn't respond in sin, but he responds with a God-centered faith. And so let's use Psalm 27 to, to reflect on that truth, which is a, a necessary truth for us this week, but, but when we're honest, we realize we, we face fear every day of our lives. The uncertainty of what's coming next, of the, the fears of sending children off to school, the fears of, of what's happening with my retirement portfolio, the, the fears of, of what's next. We feel the symptoms of disease, and we realize that, that the prognosis for each one of us is tragic. And so how can we as believers respond in hope and in faith? Now let's look at the beginning verses here and we're going to use an outline. I already mentioned Pastor James Boyce and so we're going to kind of steal a little bit of his outline from his commentary. So if you're following along, you can open the outline and you'll know where we're going. But we begin with the believer's confidence. In the, in the first three verses, look back at Psalm 27. We, we have three times the language of fear. In verse one, he mentions the word fear and then again the word he's afraid. In, in verse three, he says, he uses the word fear again. But rather than respond in fear, David responds in faith because because he says, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I mean, it's a question that that doesn't need to be answered because the answer is given to us in the rest of the psalm. If God is my light, if God is my salvation, then whom would I be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? No one, because God is on my side. The language that, that, that David uses is language that's echoed throughout Scripture. That the Lord is my light. The Lord is the one who drives out darkness. The language of light used throughout the, the Bible. In First Timothy, the apostle Paul tells us that, that the Lord himself lives in unapproachable light. Or if we turn to the New Testament to hear the words of John in his first letter, First John chapter 1. We read this truth in 1 John 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And because God is light, because he drives out darkness, then, then John can continue in that chapter. In 1 John chapter 1, you know verse 9, if you've memorized verses as a child in, in Sunday school. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us From all unrighteousness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. See, light has entered into our darkness because God sent his son, Jesus. Again, we hear the words of John, but now turning from his first letter, his first epistle, to the Gospel of John. The opening chapter uses that imagery of light pushing aside the darkness. When Jesus arrives, he is the light here for us. In John chapter 1, verse 5. So we've moved from 1 John 1, 5 to John 1, 5. So you've got to pay close attention. John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5. We're told at the arrival of Jesus, the light shines in the darkness. And maybe you feel like your whole world is is, is darkness pressing in on you. I mean, do you hear what the psalmist is telling us? The Lord is my light. God himself is light. When Jesus arrives, he is our light. He is the one who brings to us hope and salvation. So this Psalm 27 begins with a, with a word of confidence, the believer's confidence, not crippled by fear. And as, as one commentator read, in, and, and maybe your inbox was filled with all kinds of emails, some of them this week unhelpful, I, you got reminders from me, wash your hands you got reminders from everybody to wash your hands. But, but in one of those emails that I received this week, there was, a, there was a, a spiritual reflection on the truth that God is with us. A reminder of God's promise of presence. And this is what, what was said. Faith cripples the power of fear. I mean, it, it's a reflection of Psalm 27. Faith cripples the power of fear by reminding us of the right now presence of the Lord. That's what we're seeing here in these opening verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? No one. There is no one to fear if God is with us, if God is present. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There is no one left to fear if God is with us. And that's, that's David's strong desire. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of a previous generation, when he stood in his pulpit, he told his, his people preaching from this psalm, Psalm 27, he said, salvation finds us in the dark, but it does not leave us there. Salvation finds us in the dark, but then brings us into God's light. Because on our own, even if this week wasn't filled with, with tragic news stories, you know in your own life, how hard it is to make sense of of what's happening. You know, in your own heart, the darkness of your own sin, and so we stumble through life. And and so God finds us in the darkness, but he does not leave us in darkness. See, our confidence is, is not rooted in our knowledge of the circumstances, our knowledge of the situation. I mean, David is saying, whom shall I be afraid? All throughout this passage, he talks about an army besieging me, war breaking out around him. And yet, he, he's not trying to, to gain mere military advantage. He's not simply trying to, to send out scouts to, say, say, survey the landscape and figure out what's happening. He's trying to figure out the, the truth, the promise of God's presence. Because our confidence is not rooted in our knowledge of the circumstances. Our confidence is rooted in the knowledge that God is with us in those circumstances. I mean, Augustine, the the, the great teacher of the church from the the, the early centuries of the church, he says, in this psalm, we have the the picture that the Lord gave me a knowledge of himself. The Lord gives himself to me. It's not enough that, that David knows about God. It's that he knows God himself. He understands who the Lord is. See, our confidence is rooted in the Lord, the covenant God, Yahweh, who is with us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So we see the believer's confidence, but then then David here in the the first half of the psalm shows us the believer's desire. He he says in verse 4, There is one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. I mean, this is one of those most uh, single-minded phrases in the the entire Old Testament. A single-minded purpose being shown to us here. David is saying, this is the one thing that I need. In a time of chaos, what do I want? What do I desire? He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. See, this is where David finds his hope and his confidence, in the Lord himself. No, he's not merely looking for a job. He's not, not trying to, to stop being king and start being a, a priest. He's not, not, not simply wanting to, to just be there to work in the, the temples. He wants to be there because that is the place of God's presence. God has promised to be with his people. The, the tabernacle in David's time and, and later the temple itself. The, the physical manifestation of building where you could go and there was God. And so David, in the times of darkness... He can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation, showing his confidence, but then his desire is to be with the Lord, to run toward the Lord in hope. See, we have this longing for the presence of God. It's built into to each one of us. And maybe it's been exposed in these recent weeks when we want to figure out what's happening. We want to we figure out what's, what's going on. And, and again, faith cripples the power of fear. Faith cripples the power of fear here by turning our attention and our affections to God, by realigning our hearts so that we see the the, the things that happen around me don't define who I am. It's my heart seeking after God, my desire to follow after God, my desire to be in the presence of God. And maybe today this longing to gather with God's people. Verse 6 says that that, that he, he goes to sacrifice with shouts of joy. He will sing and make music to the Lord. And it's hard not to be all together in the same space. I mean, it's heartbreaking to, to make the decision to tell you, don't come to church. I've, I've spent my life convincing you, you should come and gather with God's people, but, but for the safety of our neighbors to tell you to stay home. But that doesn't, that doesn't diminish the longing we have to be in relationship. The longing we have to gather in corporate worship. Because again, Pastor Boyce, he points out, he says, yes, there's something specific here about the Old Testament temple being the place of God's presence. But he says there's also something special about just showing up at church. There's something about being with God's people. And so make that happen this week. Yes, we're going to limit large gatherings, but that doesn't mean you can't, as soon as this sermon is done, as soon as our worship team leads us on a final song, pick up the phone and check in on on a friend from church. You could gather by, by video conference with, with, with a small group to pray for one another. You could check in with somebody that you know d- doesn't have the, the technological knowledge to figure out how to get to this video feed, but pick up your phone and, and see how they're doing. Maybe remind them that they can listen on, on the radio at 9.30 on Sunday mornings on WDL, but, but then personally check in on them. Because the longing you have to be here, that desire you have to gather in relationship, the, the heartbreak of being told, no, no, keep a distance, Even socially, keep keep a distance, don't don't come near me. That's not how we were made and designed to be. We're designed to want to draw together in worship, to draw together in relationship. And so so let this week be an opportunity for you to respond to neighbors who are in fear, to neighbors who have need. Walk across the street or or pick up the phone to check in on, on a neighbor. You can still get, get, gather to help them with, with yard work, to offer to pick them up food or medicine if they need it. If you have a specific need, then reach out to us here at the church office. Our deacons want to respond. And I've been encouraged this week because many of you have sent me messages or, or left, me, left me phone messages to say, hey, I'm ready, I'm available, I don't think my family is at, is at great risk. What can I do to help? And so reach out one to another. Because the longing to be in the house of God, to be in the, with the people of God, is the natural desire that should well up within us in times of crisis. That we need, yes, first to put our attention on God, but we want to we give praise and praise is the public declaration that God is the one who deserves to be worshipped. That even in, in sorrow and sadness, even in despair, God deserves our praise because he is the one who is worthy and majestic and powerful. And so this week, while many are afraid, While our lack of control has been exposed, it makes us a people who are dependent, a people who who then can cry out using the words of the psalm, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I could be close to God. And so maybe the extra time that you'll have in your schedule, because special events have been canceled, you're at home. And, and I know for many of you that will create more chaos as, as schedules have changed and you have to make decisions and you've got to, got to figure out childcare. care. But, but maybe with the time that it forces you to spend at home or with family can be time that, that you spend in God's Word. You say, this is the thing that I want. I want God. I want to be close to Him. I want to, to know His presence and to understand who He is. See, there's great comfort for us in this psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? And so we see the believer's confidence, the believer's desire, but then there's a, a shift in tone from the first six verses to, the, to verse seven. From this words of confidence, even in the midst of chaos, to now this, this pleading and longing for God to hear us and for God to respond. And maybe that's really the, the right pattern for us as believers. Though When we realize the one thing we need is God, and then we would long that God would, would come and meet our needs, that God would would meet the needs of our friends and neighbors. And so we we have then here the believer's prayer. Look at verse 7. The tone has shifted when when David says, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. It's the cry in, in danger. God, do you even hear me? God, will you answer me? And maybe that's a question you've been asking this week. It's certainly a question I've heard pastorally. a question that your neighbors are asking. Maybe they don't even know that's the question that they're asking. They're just trying to figure out what's going to happen. Well, you know, am I going to get a refund on this? They're trying to figure out the, the circumstances, but the question they're really asking is, God, do you notice? God, do you hear? God, will you answer me? It's a plea. God, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. And yet you see, even in the second half of the psalm, where there's this, this pleading, this longing for God to respond, there, there's still glimmers of, of gospel hope. He, he, he knows that God is the one who says, seek my face. And so, so verse 8, he understands if God says, come find me, then God can be found. God will make himself known. God has revealed himself to us in his word. He, in verse 9, it says, says, don't hide yourself from me. Don't hide your face from me. But he says, you have been my helper. God is the one who meets my needs. Do not reject or forsake me. And then listen to, to how David, David turns his focus to God. Oh God, my Savior. God, you are the one who rescues. You are the one who saves. You are the one who gave your son for me. And so you are the one who offers me great hope. And so in, this, in these days when our, when our fears are exposed... When, the, when even the, the greatest fear that we have, maybe even it's yet still unspoken, the fear of death itself. We need a confidence of, of a God who, who provides not merely his presence, but his salvation. A God who is, yes, presently helping us, but offers us hope for the future. The God who is the one who rescues us. Now, I'm thankful this week for the work of, of scientists seeking a cure, for public health officials protecting us, for for doctors and nurses and technicians and and staff at, at hospitals and medical centers who are providing care to our neighbors. And yet, we realize, and maybe if you're working in those venues, well, first, thank you, but you also realize there's so much we don't know. There's so much we can't control. And so the crisis before us has exposed our great need for God to answer, for God to respond. Now, maybe it's in some ways easier to see the the, the fears of previous generations because we can sort of step back and say, why were they acting like this? Why did they they fear in this way? And maybe that can help us reflect a little bit on the fear that we have right now. In Victorian England, there was a a serious fear of being buried alive. Taphophobia. Now, hopefully none of you have, have been crippled in crisis this week with that fear. Uh, medical technology has advanced to the point that that's not a legitimate danger for most of us. But there was a great fear in the Victorian era because of the advances in medical science, but not advances that had taken them far enough. And so there were stories told, some of them fiction, some of them legend, of people being buried alive, people finding uh, 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 scratch marks on the inside of coffins, the people hearing the, the ghosts of those that, that were afraid. And so, so it stoked this fear. And so even if all of those accounts are legendary, there was a a general fear. And people offered patents, solutions to to solve this fear. Some were air vents so that when you were buried in the coffin, there would be an air vent from your coffin up to the ground so that you would still have air to breathe. And in those, there would be a a flag that could be raised. If if, if you woke up and and you just twitched, then it it would raise a flag to alert people they needed to dig you back up or a bell attached so that, that, that with ringing you could get people to come to you. And we might look at that and think, well, that's, that's pretty silly. That's kind of foolish. But in some ways, maybe it's easier to see the, the fear of death in a previous generation. Because in our own generation, we don't even like to talk about death. And, and rightly, our, our public health officials are focusing on treatments. We're, we're focusing on, on recovery. But, but the tragic news is that every one of us, we'll face death. And so we need a hope of God's presence now, but we need a hope that lasts even to the point of death. And don't you see that's what David offers us in the psalm? A confidence that God is present with us now, but the hope that God is with us in the future. I mean, notice the way that the, the psalm, after this pleading uh, petitions, we, we move from the believer's prayer again back to the believer's hope. Back to the believer's confidence. We, we end where we began. Verses 13 and 14 come back to that beginning theme that we have confidence in who God is. David in verse 13 says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now we live in a land of sickness. Tragically, we may face in coming days a land filled with death. But David's hope, even in the midst of of a battle, even in the midst of war, is that he would see God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love in the land of the living. Yes, that's a hope in the present. Then when he goes to the temple of God, he will see the people of God rejoice. He will be there in the presence of God. But it is a hope for the future. And so what is the believer to do? The believer is waiting for the Lord. We wait because we know what God has already done. How does God give us this confidence that we will be with him in the land of the living? It's because he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus who took our place on the cross. Jesus who went into the tomb dead for my sins. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, having gone to the land of the dead, reigns as the king of the living because God raised him from the dead. And so the reason that you and I can have confidence, even more confidence than David had, David who was merely anticipating the arrival of God's King and God's Messiah, you and I can have more confidence to say, yes, I know that that I can, I know this for sure. I am confident of this truth. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And one of the great joys of of ministering in a church that, that crosses the generational span is to sit with believers who in sickness are facing death, but say things like, I am ready to be with Jesus. I am confident that whatever the doctor walks into the room and tells me, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, this is the confidence you and I have. This is the great gift that we have for our neighbors. Not a a story of what will come. We can leave that to the, the medical health professionals. I can't tell you what this week will bring. If I tried to predict last Sunday what this last week would have, would have brought, you would, you would have, I, I would have laughed at all that's taken place. And I thought, that's not possible. And so I'm not going to try and predict the circumstances, but I can predict your hope. If you are apart from Christ, then you will live in fear. Without hope, because it will be up to you to find a solution. And the solutions are too big for us to solve. But if you have put your trust in Christ, then I give you the confidence of God's word. You can say with David, I am still confident of this. Today, I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we have then the command that ends this psalm. What does David say that he is going to do? He says, verse 14, wait for the Lord. It actually switches from just a description of, of what's happening to, to a command for the people of God wait for the Lord. Now, that's the hardest thing to do in some sense. When we want to get up and find a solution, to, to merely wait for the Lord. But not waiting in fear, waiting in confidence that God is with us, He's present with us now. Be strong and take heart, David says, and wait for the Lord. Our confidence rests in the certainty of the Lord's answer. Our confidence rests in the promise of the Lord's presence. Our confidence rests in the provision of the Lord's salvation. And so we are commanded to wait for the Lord. Now, Broadway theaters shut down this past week. They shuttered their doors in order to help prevent the spread of illness. But I was, was reflecting this week on the multiple Tony Award-winning musical from a couple of years ago, The Band's Visit. It's a cross-cultural story of, of longing for relationships. That's really what's at the heart of the story, is, is people who are, who are disconnected relationally, are, are longing to be connected in, in loving relationships. Now, one of the characters in this musical, who has by far the most beautiful song in the show is listed not with a name in the program his name is never used in the in the in the musical he's listed as the telephone guy now it's a musical set in the 1990s and so every time you see him on stage he's standing in front of a payphone all right now kids you can ask your mom and dad what a payphone was that was a phone that you had to go to when you didn't have a phone in your pocket you had to go find a phone and so so this play set set a couple of decades ago has this kid just standing and staring at a phone and every time he appears on stage, people walk by and they say hi to him and they, they ask the question, has she called yet? Has she, has she called? And he says, no, 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 not yet. But she will. And, and, and in many ways, he's, he's kind of comic relief for the more heavy stories that, that flow through this musical. But then at the, the end... As he begins to sing, the audience at first doesn't know how to react because he's been really comic relief throughout. And his his voice in this beautiful song asks the question or or makes makes the statement, Here I am, and the light is dying. The sun is setting around him. His hope begins to fade that the phone is actually going to ring. He asks, Where are you? Will you answer me? It's almost the language of a psalm, the language of lament. It's it's almost the language we as as believers today could use of God. God, where are you? Will you answer me? The lyrics describe the silence of, of waiting for the phone to ring as the sound of longing. This psalm has exposed our longing for relationships with each other, but more than that, for relationship with God. And so the the playwright asks, Are you there? Are you there? Will you answer me? Now you can watch the musical to find out the answer for the telephone guy. But I can give you the answer from Scripture. When we ask God that question, Where are you? Will you answer me? Are you there? Will you answer me? The answer is, Yes, God has answered. Yes, the Lord sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. Yes, we can have hope even in the face of death itself because God sent his son to die in my place and God raised him from the dead. This is the believer's hope. Lord, will you answer me? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom? shall I fear let's pray that God would apply his truth to our hearts Father in heaven we are thankful for your word for the power of your gospel Lord you are the one who who teaches us the truth that even in our times of fear and longing you are the God who is with us and so Lord as we cry out I pray that we would find an answer in your word Lord, for those who are listening today or will will listen to this this sermon in coming days, I pray that that in turning to your word, they would find hope. Lord, for those who still have questions, Lord, let them reach out and find answers as they open your word and read. Lord, give us confidence in your love, in your salvation, in your gospel. Father, we come to give you praise through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord our rescuer, our Savior. Amen.